We open God's word now together. Let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, let us hear of your steadfast love in Christ, for in you we trust. Make us know the way we should go, for to you we lift up our souls. Deliver us from our enemies, O Lord. We have fled to you for refuge. Teach us to do your will, for you are our God. And let your good spirit lead us on level ground. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in the book, in God's Word, to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, most of those you'll find that on page 669. Uh, Proverbs is between Psalms and Ecclesiastes, right at the middle of your Bible. And if you're visiting with us, we started a series last week on the book of Proverbs, so we've come to the second section of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. So we're going to read that together, and that'll be the text of our sermon this morning. So Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 8 and reading through verse 19. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Uh, We said in the beginning that Proverbs really is about how to walk in wisdom's way. Uh, That's the subject of the whole book. And so imagine you were going to sit down and write a book about how to walk in wisdom's way. Where would you begin? What would be lesson number one? Um, It's kind of an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Where would you begin if you're going to write a book on wisdom with your first lesson? Um, And the first lesson here, as one commentator summarized it simply, is avoid gangs. Now, I don't know how many of us would write a book of wisdom and think, you know, the very first thing we need to say to people is avoid gangs. Um, Now, maybe there are churches, and we certainly know brothers and sisters who've been gang members. I know pastors, reformed pastors who've been ex-gang members. So there might be churches in certain circumstances and contexts where that would be a very important message, avoid gangs. Um, But is this really a message of universal application? Um, We might be tempted to say, Solomon, is this really where we need to begin? Um, And I think we'll see as we go through this, Lord willing, that this is really about more than just gangs. This is really about how sinners try to entice God's people into following after their ways. 
Um, and so I think this is a topic of universal application and even a topic of first importance. How do we avoid being taken in by sinners? Especially young people. How do you avoid being taken in by sinners? This has a particular importance for young people coming from a father to his son. And so we want to think about this, this fact that in every age God's people need to think about how to resist the enticement of sinners, how to resist the pull of the wicked. Um, And how do we see Solomon going through that in this text? I think we see first the way of wisdom commanded. The way of wisdom is commanded by the father to the son. Uh, Secondly, the way of wickedness is condemned. Um, And that's also very important to see in this text. And then the ways of both are contrasted. Where does the way of wisdom lead? Where does the way of wickedness lead? Um, And this will be important for us to understand this message and for other instructions like this going forward in Proverbs. So we want to think about the way of wisdom commanded, the way of wickedness condemned, and the way of both contrasted. Uh, the The way of wisdom is commanded. We see that command clearly in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Uh, This is the command for wisdom, and it is set in the context of the covenant family. Notice how this is coming by the covenant family, from a father and a mother to a son. Uh, That's going to be an important pattern that we will see over and over again in the book of Proverbs, this kind of instruction being set in the context of the covenant family. Wisdom coming from the father and mother to the child, uh, particularly to the son. And this teaches us right from the outset the very important role that the family plays in teaching and training up children in the way of wisdom. Um, Parents stand under the authority of God, under the king's wisdom, with the task of passing on that wisdom to the next generation. We saw something of that in Psalm 78 in the section that we sang, Um, the the importance of commending the ways of God to the next generation, the importance of passing that along, and that wisdom comes from father and mother to child. Parents are not ultimate authorities. They stand under the word and the wisdom of God, but they are to take that and to pass that along authoritatively to their children to bring God's authoritative word to bear on the lives of those who are in covenant with God and must keep covenant with God. Um, So that's the task given to parents to teach that way of wisdom to their children, and it's the task of children to stand under their parents' authority and listen. Right? This is pictured to us as the voice of wisdom coming from a father and a mother together. The father is taking the lead, but the mother is certainly helping in this. Um, saying, listen to your father. They speak with one voice to the child, and the children are to listen. Uh, They speak with authority, and they're to listen. Children, if you're going to come into wisdom, you have to listen. And of course, listen doesn't just mean hear it. It means obey. Um, Right? There's there's probably no parent here raising a young child who hasn't had to say, now look at me, did you hear what I said to you? Uh, making sure that words have not just been heard and right in one ear out the other, uh, but it's being listened to. Uh, that's what the voice of the family is saying to the child. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. And it's the child's responsibility to listen, to hear, to receive that instruction, and to be raised in the school of wisdom. 
Now, this is what is to happen in the covenant family uh, when it works the way God has designed it to work. Uh, But whenever we talk about the family that way, it raises a host of questions for us, doesn't it? Um, Immediately, I think parents begin to wonder, have I done that as I ought for my children? Um, There might be those who are godly parents, but they're now parenting alone. They've lost a godly spouse and now have to think, how do I do this by myself? either without the voice of the father to speak or without the voice of the mother to speak. How do we, how do, we do that in our family? Um, what about those godly parents who failed in instructing their children um, and recognized their failure? Uh, does that mean there is no hope of the child being raised in wisdom? I think all of these questions can come up in our minds, and that's why it's important to remember that while there is a central importance and a fundamental importance in the family doing its work, Wisdom is not just set in a family context, it's also set in the context of the covenant community. The whole covenant community is involved in inculcating wisdom. This doesn't happen in a vacuum, it happens in the covenant community. Even though this is a word of Solomon as a father to his son, as we looked at last time, this wisdom is coming to all of his people. Um, It's coming to all of God's people, and God has settled us not just in our own individual personal families. He set us in a community of believers. He set us in a covenant family in the church. And so the church is also helping in that task, being that wisdom to God's people. Um, Just as Solomon's wisdom is not just for his son, but for all Israel. So what this father is saying to his son, God is speaking to all of his children. Um, That's the wonderful way that Scripture teaches us to think about these things. Um, The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, 5 and 6 takes a instruction from a father to son in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 and applies it as if God has said that to all of Israel. That's how God is teaching us to think about these things. And so we're very much helped to know that when our earthly families fail... When we fail as parents to teach our children what we should teach them, when our children fail to learn what they should fail, learn what they should learn, we shouldn't lose heart. Because God has also settled us in His family, in His family household as the church, where there is another institution that He's given us, another family to teach that same wisdom. So that maybe where parents fail, the church will succeed. Where children fail to hear it from their parents, maybe they'll hear it from the church. God has given us hope in that sense. He settled all of us in His family by grace through faith. He's spoken to us as our Father and has given us as the church to really be, as as people have pointed out throughout history, the mother of the faithful. And what does the church do as the Father instructs? The church at its best comes along and says, listen to your Father. That really is the task of the church in the world. Listen to your father. Why? That you might learn wisdom. That you might learn instruction. Um, And so God has given us this wonderful help. Christ as our king has imparted this wisdom. Our father teaches it to us by his spirit. But he also gives us a church, a covenant family in which he settled us. Where Christ as as our king imparts that wisdom to us. It's to come in a family context, but it also comes... In the church context, that command of wisdom that's so essential for all of God's children to hear. And what is the message that we are to hear? We are to listen to wisdom. 
We are to not forsake our mother's teaching. Right? It's, it's two commands that are really one. Listen and obey what wisdom has to say. And then the father gives the reason wisdom is to be listened to. Because it is a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. We'll come back to that later and what that means. But notice that the father does not speak as an authoritarian voice. The father does not just simply say, do it because I told you so. It's a temptation to do that, right? Especially when you have authority and people aren't listening to try to just take an authoritarian tack. Why should you do that? Because I told you to. And I'm, I'm in charge. Um, maybe we swore we wouldn't do that as parents and then heard, heard the words tumbling out of our mouths and thought, oh, no, this, I just did the same thing I always hated. Um, now, because I told you so is a truth, but what, one of the wonderful things about Proverbs is the Father comes with authority, but not in an authoritarian way. He comes and speaks authoritatively, son, you have to do this, but he comes with reasons, It's as if he puts his arm around his shoulder and says, I love you and I'm going to tell you this for your good and I'm going to explain to you why this is vital, why this is important. You see how he speaks with authority but not as a tyrant, saying, let me me explain to you why these things are important. He explains the positive of wisdom, but he also shows that the way of wickedness is condemned. Um, He explains why this way ought not to be followed and where this way leads. And essentially the father is saying to his son, you need to listen to the voice of God, the voice of his wisdom, because you are going to encounter many voices in this world that are going to call you to follow their path. So you have the voice of your God calling you to say, walk this way, this is the way of wisdom, and you're going to have all kinds of other voices that are going to speak into your life and are going to say, no, walk this way, follow our path. And the Father wants to come and condemn the way of wickedness and to say, this path is not to be followed. When you hear that voice, don't listen to it. Don't walk in its way. Um, What does the Father want to communicate, particularly to His Son? As a kind of lesson of first importance, you are going to encounter the enticement of sinners in your life. That's what he says in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It's the reality of life in this world that there are always going to be voices against the voice of God calling us to follow them. That's what entice means, boys and girls, to tempt or to try to get you to follow. Um, and there's always going to be the voice of sinners saying, no, come our way. Don't walk God's way. Come our way. Because we can promise you a lot. And the Father in His wisdom knows what the enticements of the sinners are. Right? This is, this is the voice of sinners, but being told by the Father. He already knows what they're going to say. He knows where they're going to go. He knows what sinners always do to try to entice the people of God. There's always a fundamental underlying technique that they employ. And what is the first thing they try to entice God's people with? They do it with the promise of power. That's what what the sinners begin with in verses 11 and 12. Come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole 
like those who go down to the pit. What, what is this promising to people? It's promising them power. Let's take power over the lives of other people. What we want, let's just take. Um, and the father couches it in really monstrous terms, right? This is cold, calculating, monstrous evil. It's intentional evil, right? This isn't just the, the kind of mischief that you stumble into. Let's go lie in wait in ambush for them. This is premeditated, calculated evil. It's intentional and it's indiscriminate. It's evil that's going to be done against people who've done nothing to deserve it. They are innocent without, and we're going to do this without reason. There's no reason for us to do this to them, but we'll do it because we can. It's the promise of power. The power you can take for yourself. That's the first enticement of sinners, the enticement of power. And there's also the enticement of profit. We'll benefit from doing this. And what will be the benefit? We shall find all precious goods, verse 13. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Um, This is a power that pays. Uh, There's all kinds of profit to be had, enough to fill up your house with what we'll recognize. This is a a get-rich-quick scheme. Why work and slave for the money when, like a sucker when you can just go take it and have it now? Right? It's the promise of profit. What's the last enticement that sinners offer? Not just power and profit, but a place. A place where you can belong. Where you can be one of the gang. One of the outfit. Right? Verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. We'll all take fair shares in what we take. The father is saying to the son, you need to be part of our community. And what are the sinners really saying? No, come be part of ours. And I think when we understand all those enticements together, we understand what sinners are really doing. They're, They're offering an alternative rival community to the covenant community of God. They're saying God has a community, we have a community. God's promised blessings, we promise blessings. Come with us, come to our community. That community that in the end is really a counterfeit community. It's merely badly mimicking what God has made in covenant with His people. Maybe we know those famous words from Luther For where God built a church, there the devil would also build a chapel. In such sort is the devil always God's ape. The devil is always mimicking what God is doing. A poet took up those words, I think, in the beginning of a poem he wrote, and he said, wherever God erects a house of prayer, the devil always builds a chapel there. And twill be found upon examination, the latter has the largest congregation. Those voices are going to come from all quarters, always against God's people. Here's another community. Here's another people to belong to. Here's another place where you can be part. We have to understand that that community is a counterfeit community. It's a counterfeit of everything that God's community promises. That's what the Father is saying to the Son. What what are they offering you that God does not offer you? Right? Right? 
Um, you are a part of a covenant community where God has promised you material and spiritual blessings. There's profit with the Lord. There's power because you are loved with a covenant love by our almighty, faithful, heavenly Father. There's power in that love. And there is a place for you in the, in the kingdom of God that lasts forever, that unshakable kingdom. What the Father is doing is exposing that everything the sinners offer is just a counterfeit community with counterfeit blessings. Power that's taken by violence, not given in trust by God. Profit that's gained unjustly and not earned by honest effort. A place that's achieved by lawlessness and not by gracious acceptance. And when we see that, when we see that that's what the sinners do, we see how this passage is about a lot more than just avoid gangs. This is the way sinners like to operate. To offer God's people something that is actually a counterfeit of what they already have with their God. Right? It's the temptation to power. The world is always doing that. That there's a power in leaving God to do your own thing. They always couch it in terms of, you know, you're restricted by God. By His rules, by His standards, by His creation. And if you just depart from His way, you'll find real freedom there. That's power, to live on your own and not live by God's rules. That there's profit there. right? Not just material, but other kinds of profit to be had from departing from God's ways. There are people that are always going to say... You know, there's a happiness, there's a human flourishing that exists outside, over the fence that God has set up. And if you could just knock down that fence and go, you'll find so much blessedness. He's holding you back from so much. The world is always saying that to us, to God's people, especially to children and young people. That there's all this good outside of what God has set up. And the world offers you a place there's so many sins now that are informed by a community. There's this community and that community, and they have flags and they have banners, and you can be part of the community and pledge allegiance to the flag. And they, they're constantly saying, see, we, we offer something better. We offer something better. And in the end, you know, it's the same path that Satan showed to Adam and Eve. Are you aren't you tired of not being like God? You want to have power? You want to really know what good and evil are? You want to really have your eyes open? Really profit from that? Leave God's path. Do what he's told you not to do. Then you'll have a place of your own. You won't have this little garden where you do what he's told you to do. You'll be able to have a world of your own where the only boss is you. Isn't that wonderful? Power, profit, a place. And it led to their destruction when they took that path. Because God's way, God's community, God's way of doing things, His Word is what actually offers us all the things that Satan pretends to offer and can't deliver. 
That's why Jesus stood up in the face of all of that when the devil offered it to him. Use your power. Make those stones bread. Why would you go through the cross to get all the kingdoms of the world? I'll give them to you right now. No cross. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. The whole world will be yours. All profit to you. All your place. And what did Jesus see? He saw right through all of that and said to depart from the ways of my Father means to end up with nothing. And to walk in my Father's way is the path to all blessedness. And who has power now? The Lord Jesus Christ reigns at the right hand of His Father, authority over all heaven and earth. Who has profit now? All the riches of God are in Christ Jesus. Who has a place? He is the King of heaven and glory. He shows the complete truth of what the Father says here. The way of the wicked is to be condemned. And why is it to be condemned? Because you see clearly what both ways are when you see them in the light of God's word. Um, The both ways are contrasted powerfully by the Father. Uh, He exposes the way of the wicked for what it is. He says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your feet from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed their blood. For in vain is the net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Why is the way of the wicked to be avoided? Because in the first place, it's wrong. It's immoral. It's evil. That's the first reason we are to avoid going with sinners on their way. Their way is evil. It's wrong. It's to be avoided. Wisdom is a moral question. And it's a question of life and death. That's what God communicates to us clearly here. And the Father says these people are addicted to evil. Their feet run into it. And you are not to put one foot on their path that they run down. It's not to be done. This is not the way of God's people. I like how one commentator put it. Powerful people see the world as a place to be conquered. Vain artists as a stage from which to win applause. And the covetous as a place of transferring wealth from the bank account of others into their own. Sinners love wealth and use people. Saints love people and use wealth to help others. Can you contrast the two paths any more wonderfully than that? Sinners hate people. They use them. They're just means to their ends. Saints love people. That's what God's people are called to. It couldn't be more wrong to walk on that path. The Father says, don't walk on that path because it's wrong, and don't walk on that path because it's stupid. Can I use that word? Is that okay? It's a stupid path. He says that. He said the people that do this stuff are not even smart, as smart as a bird is. When a bird sees a net coming, you can't catch it. A lot of people talk about what does verse 17 really mean in terms of, you know, in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. And I think the, the right way to look at that is there were fowlers, people who would catch birds, and in order to catch birds, they would throw nets over them. 
And in order to do that, I've never tried doing this, but apparently in order to do that well, you have to sneak up on the bird. You have to try to catch it when it's eating or doing something it's not paying attention. Come from the right approach so they don't see or smell you coming and then try to throw the net over them when they're unaware. Because what everybody knew was if you take a net and walk up to a bird that's looking at you, the bird will look back and say, seriously? And when you throw the net, the bird will fly right out from under the net. Every bird can escape a net they see coming. And what the father is saying to the son is, these sinners are so dumb, they see the net coming and they sit there. Because what is their evil really doing? It's ambushing them. It's killing them. Who really are the recipients of their evil? Whose blood ends up getting shed in the end? The Father says it's their own. Verse 18, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. This way is to be avoided because it's wrong and because it's stupid and because of where it ends. Where does this way end? The way of wickedness. It ends in death. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. One of the foundational teachings of Proverbs, and indeed all of Scripture, is you can't have sin without the harm. You can't have sin without the misery. It's a package deal. And the world loves to tell us, and especially to tell young people, you can have the sin without the misery. It's not true. You can never have the sin without the misery. You can never have the sin without the harm. Even if it seems like you can avoid it here, you can't avoid it in the world to come. You can't have sin without the harm. God says in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And what is the ultimate harm? What is the ultimate misery that sin brings? It's death. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus says in Mark 8.36, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Sin leads to death, physical and eternal, where there is no power and no profit and no place for the wicked. And God says that so we never forget that. So that God's people never forget it, particularly so that young people never forget it. You cannot have sin without the harm. You cannot have sin without the misery. The two always go hand in hand. And why does God say that to you? Why does he say that to me? Because he doesn't want us to experience harm. He doesn't want us to experience death. He doesn't say this because he is a no-fun God or trying to hold something good back from us. That's the devil's lie. What God is saying is, I know there is only death to do this. I don't want you to die. I want you to set before you life and death so you see death clearly, but so that you live. That's the kind of God we have. Who wants us to live. Who wants us to be healthy and happy. That's why he warns us so severely, because he's so good. That's why he sets these rules up.
for our good so that we might walk in a way that's much more worthy, the way of wisdom. Because wisdom pays in a way wickedness doesn't. It might not seem like it. Right? The wicked offer a lot, as one commentator pointed out. What, what the wicked offer is flashy. Um, what wisdom offers seems kind of small by comparison. It's just verse 9. What does wisdom offer? Follow your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Okay. Does that, does that sound great by comparison to what the world offers? But, but what is a garland a graceful garland. What does that symbolize for us? It symbolizes that wisdom is the treasure. Wisdom itself is the treasure. The instruction of the Father is the treasure for your life because it will be a graceful garland for your head. A garland was a sign of hard-won victory. It was a sign of vindication over your enemies. It was a picture. Here is one who has overcome in a hard struggle. Um, and that word graceful is a wonderful, a wonderful way of, of characterizing that garland because it means attractive. It means the quality of something that makes it pleasing and attractive to others so that it wins their favor. It's, it's hard won, but it also draws people. It's a sign of vindication, but it, it draws people to see that this is something good this is something noticeable and, and wonderful that makes them want to come and see it. This is the benefit of instruction, listening to your father's instruction and not forsaking your mother's discipline. It's a, it's a sign of power and a goodness of life that attracts people. That's the reward of wisdom. And it will also be pendants for your neck. This has the sense of Pendants that they've found that they had the Ten Commandments written on them. They didn't wear them like a magic kind of protection, but it was a reminder that was supposed to be carried sort of close to the heart of God's law and God's purpose. And it was to be a mark of guidance and protection to that person, that God's law will guide you and God's law will protect you. The same way you're to write it on, on your door panels and to talk about it with your children when you walk. So it's constantly on your mind and it will guide you and it will protect you to know what God has said. That's what wisdom will do. It will guide you in life. It will protect you from taking a misstep on the wrong road. It will help you see what the truth is. And again, we see this, don't we, illustrated in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he reached the end of his life wearing the garland of grace. That hard-won victory over evil. And that drew people to himself. That those who are weary and heavy laden look to him in his conquest and are drawn to him as the help of sinners. And that wisdom that was for him guidance and protection every day of his life, even against the direct assault of the devil, even in the face of death and hell, it preserved him, it guided him till he achieved what? Power over life and death prophet of protecting and guiding him throughout his life, being placed securely 
in the bosom of his Father by his grace and glory. That Jesus, as G. Kimmel Morgan said, could be the first person to walk into heaven by the light of his own merit and cast no shadow there. His wisdom helped him to live that life. And it's that wisdom that he imparts to his people. To be for you power over life and death. To be for you blessing instead of cursing. To be for you the pathway to heaven where you can have an eternal place and home as opposed to hell which is an eternal kind of homelessness. The Lord wants this for you. He speaks it to you as a father to a child. And every child of God must ask himself the question, which, which way will I walk? The ways have been clearly laid before us by our God. The way that leads to life and the way that leads to death. And our God clearly says to us, choose life. Why would you perish? But each of us must choose the way we will walk. By the help of Christ's Spirit, may we all walk in the way that leads to life. May all of us listen to Christ's instruction and not forsake his teaching, that we might have life and that in abundance by his wisdom and grace. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are to hear the voice of our Savior speak to us in, by His Spirit in the pages of Scripture that we might be informed about wisdom, that we might have these two ways clearly set before us. We pray for all here who are constantly hearing the enticement of sinners, who live in a world where, the, where sinners are always calling to us to abandon the path of Christ and follow the path of the devil. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word in revealing to us. We thank You for Your great love that caused these words to be written for our instruction, that we would have life and see many days, that we would have life in Jesus Christ and have it abundantly. And we know we can point out the way, but we cannot cause anyone to walk in that way. So we pray that by your Spirit you would help us, poor sinners, to avoid the entanglements of the wrong way. You would help us by your Spirit to walk the path that you've set for us and to recognize that it alone is the path that leads to holiness and happiness and health and life. May we not be clouded by the lies of the devil, but see clearly through the word of Christ, the way that you've set that is good and good for us. Help us all to find it, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.